Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Ladies and gentlemen, there has to be a difference for believers. There has to be a difference in our lives. That difference is holiness. As churches, we don't talk enough about holiness. Now, I'm not talking being better than anybody else, and I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm not talking about none of that stuff, none of legalism. I'm not talking about anything like that. But when people who are lost in this world talk to you, they should know there's a difference in who you are. They should know. Is holiness radiating through the actions you take in life? Pastor James teaches you today that as a Christian, others should know that there's something different about you. Doing this, though, is very difficult. You must be fully in line with God and His will. You must maintain discipline and abide by the word even in the toughest of situations. And you have to love people who don't deserve it. Seek this kind of life, abide by God's word, and you'll become a person that changes the community around you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 45 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He was just ready to be done with life. Just ready. It's not working out the way I planned it. This isn't going how I thought it was going to go. Um, so you know what? Just bring me more bad news so I can just lay down and die. It's kind of the state he was in. But when he heard the good news, he came alive. He came alive, and he had just enough, so to speak, to where he's like, let me get to Egypt so my son Joseph can close my eyes so I can see my son Joseph one last time, basically. It's kind of what he's thinking, going to 46, because the story continues on. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions, and he came to Beersheba. He offered sacrifices to, to the God of his father, Isaac. We don't have any recording of him doing this for quite a while. Jacob, what has happened Man, it goes back into before Joseph was sold as a, sold as a slave by his brothers. I mean, you don't have any, and I know the story, the spotlight has shifted to Joseph, but it's been a long time. As far as we know, from what we have recorded, it has probably been a very long time since Jacob has done this. And I love this. This is an encouragement for every single one of us. And I, it, Israel, that's, that's who he is. That's who he's acting like right now. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice to the, to the God of his father, Isaac. Here's what he's going to do. Before he goes down to Egypt, he's like, you know what we should do? We should probably pray. We should probably talk to God about this. It's like, yeah, you probably should. Because his fear is, my grandfather went down to Egypt, and he came back with a problem on his hands. And her name was Hagar, right? And you get an Ishmael because of that. So he's thinking, like, should I go down to Egypt? Is this the Lord? For, it's incredible that he stops and he does this. And this should be an encouragement to every single one of us. Maybe it's been a while since you've stopped and said, you know what, Lord, can we talk? Can we talk? Hey, guess what? He's always ready to listen. Always ready to listen. And he might even speak to you. 
He might even speak to you. You don't know. You open up this thing, and he will speak to you, <laughs> okay? Because he has spoken. But Israel's like, Jacob, he's like, Let's, we got to stop. Verse 2, during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. So God is now, he's speaking to Jacob. And this is, it seems like this is the first time this has happened in a long time as well. And God is going to speak to him. And in Israel, Jacob, Israel is just another name for Jacob, the one that God had given to him, says, here I am. Here I am. Let me encourage you. Go to him. Go to the Lord and say, hey, can we talk? And let him whisper to your heart saying, hey, let's talk. Here I am. Me otherwise means I'm, I'm present. I'm available. Lord, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It seems like this has been a long time for Jacob, but at least he's doing it. At least he's coming back. At least he's doing that. If it's been a while since you've had just really some good intimate time between you and the Lord, don't disqualify yourself thinking like, well, he doesn't want to hear from me because it's been so long. That's not true. That's not true. I'm sure God was just waiting for Jacob to come to him and say like, hey, what, Jacob, what's happened, buddy? I haven't left you. I haven't gone anywhere. Come to me. Come to me. Let's talk. Let's hang out. He's a personal God. He wants, to, he wants to commune with us. He wants to be there with us. Sometimes it just takes us to stop and say, okay, hold on, man, I have been making all these decisions. Maybe I need to stop and ask God what he thinks I should do. Yeah, that's good. Do that. <laughs> do that. But here they're going to have this, this really sweet, intimate time. And, and just one last thing on this. Reread through the story. Uh, for Jacob, we, we have it recorded, man, I think it's like four to five times where God speaks to Jacob, okay? And that's pretty special. That's pretty significant. That's, that's an amazing thing. Read through Joseph's story. You don't have any recordings between Joseph. Not saying that God didn't speak to Joseph, but we don't have it recorded where, and God spoke to Joseph. We know God was speaking to Joseph, but just as an encouragement to you, you see, and, and even people recognize with Joseph, God is with this person. God is with this person. And then with Jacob, man, the Lord is speaking to him a handful of times, like having a real like conversation with him. You can't always base it on like, there's, I know there's some people who are like, man, the Lord really spoke to me and all this stuff. Here's what, here's what is the most important thing. He has spoken through his word. You can open this thing up and enjoy what he has said. And does he continue to speak to us? Yes, absolutely. What maybe we should focus in more on is the fact that he is with us. The Lord is with you. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you, or, nor will I forsake you. And sometimes, man, we can get so caught up. I'm like, man, I'm not hearing from the Lord. I'm not hearing from the Lord. I understand that because there's been many times and moments in my life where I'm like, hey, God, where, where are you at? And his reply to me would be, I've never left you. I might be silent in your life right now, but I'm still with you. I've never left you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still with you. Maybe I'm just being silent right now because maybe you need the silent treatment. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But I know that sometimes that happens in our lives, and that happened a lot for the nation of Israel as well. There was towards the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there was many years 
many years until John the Baptist showed up on the scene as a prophet. But unfortunately, during that time, you didn't, have, you didn't hear a lot from Israel saying like, hey, God, are you going to speak to us again? Where's the Lord at? Jacob, I mean, he, the Lord spoke to him. I mean, they had a really, it's a cool relationship that they had there. And it's amazing that Jacob's finally going to just say, all right, let's pray before we go, before we make this journey. Beersheba is an important place within his family's life as well. Uh, it's not the first time that an offering has been made here. Verse 3, God says, uh, or he's, the Lord is in response, I am God, the God of your father. The voice, the voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. See, there's that thing again. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about it. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. You will see Joseph again. Your life will come to an end down there in Egypt, but don't worry about it because I'm going to deliver your family out of Egypt in his time. But he's going to allow this to be like an an incubator, so to speak, for the nation of Israel because they're going to grow like crazy, grow like crazy. But God tells them, he's like, listen, Jacob, I know you're afraid, but I don't want you to worry about it. Because even though you will be in Egypt, and Egypt is always a picture of the world, you'll be in Egypt, but I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there with you. And in this land of Goshen, where they're going to be, it's like they're going to be kind of like protected in one sense, where they're in the world, but they're not of the world. It's an amazing thing that, that all this stuff just kind of just so happened to work out in their lives. Just so happened to work out in their lives. Verse 5, Jacob left Beersheba, and his sons took him to Egypt, and they carried him and their little ones and their wives with the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all their personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, uh, or sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. And then I'm just going to read real quickly through a list of names because there's a names, and that's why we're going to finish this chapter, but there's a chunk of names. And so in case you want... Just a bunch of names. Here you go. Um, and there is one cool kind of hidden nugget within this whole thing. But here's, here's his family. Uh, technically, you know, it's going to say there's 70 of them. I think Acts chapter 7 says there was uh, 75, I believe. Um, we, we can talk about that later. But so here you go. You got the descendants of Israel, the sons of Jacob who went to Egypt. Reuben, that's the oldest. His sons were Hanok, uh, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi. I'm going to mess up on these names. Don't even worry about it, okay? Just keep, just keep going. You got Simeon, uh, Jamuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, uh, Sheol. I don't know. Sheol's mother was a Canaanite woman. Levi had Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Uh, or Mer, Merari, I don't know. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shila, strange name for a son, Perez, Zerah, and Ur and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. We remember that story. The sons of Perez were Hezron and uh, Hemuel. Sons of Issachar were Tola, Pua, uh, Jeshub, or uh, Yob, or here's the nugget. A lot of guys believe, and I would agree with them, that's Job. Job is another way of saying Job. So like the book of Job, that guy, there's a good chance, can't be dogmatic, that's him. That's really cool. That's amazing. Moses is the guy who's putting this book together. Moses would, I mean, they're not separated by much as far as, you know, distance and all that stuff. 
but Moses, Moses was well aware of who Job was. So you got Job, Shimron, that's the other guy. Uh, sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, Yaliel, or Jaliel. I'm sorry. Hey, listen, if they're in heaven, they'll forgive me, okay? Um, when I get there, they're going to be like, don't sweat it. It's okay. Um, here's how you say my name. Um, Sons of Leah and Jacob, who were born in Padaran, uh, Padan Aram, in addition to their daughters, Dinah, we remember her story. The name, number of Jacob's descendants, male and female, through Leah, was 33. Sons of Gad were Zephon, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Arai, Arodai, and <laughs> Arlei. I don't know. He's, he just was stuck on those sounding names. Uh, the sons of Asher were Imna, Ishva, Ishvai, and Beriah. Their sister was Sarah. Bariah's sons were Heber and Machiel. And just for uh, Sarah to, or yeah, Sarah to be listed in there as a sister is a big deal as well. Okay. Um, unfortunately, it place a lot of prominence on women, and that was unfortunate. But she is one who's counted in this little genealogy. Uh, the sons of Zilpah, the servant given to uh, given to Leah by her father Laban, number of Jacob's descendants through Zilpah was sixteen. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, this is easy, Joseph and Benjamin. There you go. Joseph's sons born in the land of Egypt were Manasseh and Ephraim. Their mother, Asenath, um, the daughter of Potipharah, Potiphar, the priest of On. Benjamin's sons were uh, Bela, Becker, Ashbel, Gera, Naam, uh, Ehi, Rosh, uh, Muppin and Huppin. <laughs> that just makes me think of the Muppets. I don't know why. But, um, and Ard. And there's a strange name there, too. Uh, and these were the sons of Rachel and Jacob. The number of Jacob's descendants through Rachel was 14. Sons of Dan was uh, Hushim. Sons of Natali were uh, Gaziel and Gunai, G- uh, Jezer and Chiliam. Sons of, uh, these were the sons of Bilhah, the servant given to Rachel by her father Laban. The number of Jacob's descendants through Bilhah was seven. Total number of Jacob's descendants, uh, direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, not counting his son's wives, was 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt. Altogether, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. And again, just cross-reference Acts chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 14, where Stephen is testifying and retelling the story, and there's some others who are added, and that could have been Joseph's grandsons that were included in that number. There you go. There's no contradiction. We got it all figured out. And here's the last part. As they neared the destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. When they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot, traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Of course he would. The reunion has happened. He's had it with his brothers. Now he gets it with his dad. And you can just imagine what's going, on, going through this, this old man, Jacob, as he sees his beloved son. Can you imagine, just, just switch gears for one second. We just celebrated this with Easter. When Jesus died on the cross and, and God the Father had to turn his back because this, our sins were placed on his son, a perfect sinless sacrifice, can you imagine the reunion that happened between God the Father and God the Son? Have you ever thought about that? Like when Jesus rose from the grave and then ascended to be at the right hand of his Father. Do you think they were just like, this bump, it's cool. Yeah, I'm glad you're back, you know, whatever. No, like can you imagine what that was like for them? Never before 
in all of time, was there ever a separation between God the Father and God the Son? Never. Until that moment on the cross. Until that moment on the cross where my sins were placed on him. First time ever was there a separation. First time ever. I think sometimes we don't, and it's hard for us to, to even contemplate of what that would even mean, but the first time that was ever broken, and it was because of me, it was because of you, it was because of our, this sinful world that we live in, uh, humanity. But for that reunion to take place, and this reunion between Joseph and Jacob, it just kind of reminds me of that, of like, man, that probably was a really sweet moment in time. It had to be a sweet thing. That had to be incredible. It just had to be incredible. Can you imagine what was happening in heaven? In heaven, when Jesus shows back up, he's like, did it. It's done. Like, problem solved. Problem solved. It's over. It's finished. Can you imagine the worship that was happening up there? Heaven goes nuts over one person who gets saved. What did they do when Jesus showed back up? I can't even, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. I'm like, man, that had to be pretty radical. That had to be pretty amazing. I think we'll get a taste of that when we're there, when we're there. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Heaven's going to blow you away. You need to make sure that your, your ticket's punched. It's heaven will blow you away. It will blow us all away. They're embracing for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen your face again, and I know you're still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh. He's kind of being an, an intercessor here, uh, and in some sense, an advocate for his, fa- for his family. Uh, it's just amazing, all these connections and everything. I will go to Pharaoh and tell my brothers uh, and my entire family, my father's entire family have come from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds, and they raise livestock. They have brought them with them, or they have brought with them their flocks and herds and everything they own. Then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks about your occupation, you must tell him, you must tell him, this is important, we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, which is true, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. Why is this important? Because there has to be a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. The Egyptians, not only did they hate these men, okay, we saw that in Joseph's house when they were having dinner. The Egyptians sat at their own table. Joseph had his own table, and his brothers had to sit at their own table. Because why? Because we were told the Egyptians despised these guys. They didn't like anybody else. They only liked their kind. That's it. So you're not like us. You don't look like us. You don't talk like us. You don't work like us. They despise. They thought every shepherd is an abomination, right? Like you deal with livestock? Okay, you can live up there in Goshen, and it's the perfect place for these guys to grow and to expand. This was to keep this family pure. Because had they shown up to Pharaoh and they're like, you know what, man, I, I, I'm a shepherd, but I really like, you know, doing this other stuff. I like building pyramids. You got any openings? He's like, yeah, I got lots of openings for pyramids, uh, sphinxes and all that stuff. Like, no, no, no. They're not going to intermix at all. They're going to be distinct and they're going to be different. And this is going to preserve this nation. 
Very smart, very smart how the Lord is working us all out through his, his humble servant, Joseph, who is a brilliant man, an absolutely brilliant man. He's like, listen, so this is what we're going to do. Because Joseph could see the big picture. This was incredible, incredible. Because he could see the big picture here where he's saying, like, listen, this is only a temporary solution. This is only a temporary solution. It's going to be like 400 years. This is a temporary solution. You're going to live here in this land of Egypt, but you've got to be protected because you're not supposed to, you can't intermix with the Egyptians. God has called you to be a special nation, set apart, different, different. And you're only here temporarily, and then when the time's right, you're going to go back to the land. And in fact, and Joseph is even going to tell him in a couple of chapters, listen, you're going to take my dead bones with you because I'm not meant to be here. I'm meant to be there. So you're going to take my bones. You know, you're going to take dad, his, his bones, and all. We're going to, you're, going to, you're going to send us back because where we belong is there. But in the meantime, God has us here. God has us here. So what do we do? We're going to live as Hebrews, Israelites, here. We're going to be in the world, but we're not going to be of the world. We will be different. We will be distinct. They will know there's a difference when they see us. They will know there's a difference when they talk to us. They will know that there is a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, there has to be a difference for believers. There has to be a difference in our lives. That difference is holiness. As churches, we don't talk enough about holiness. Now, I'm not talking being better than anybody else, and I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm not talking about none of that stuff, none of legalism. I'm not talking about anything like that. But when people who are lost in this world talk to you, they should know there's a difference in who you are. They should know. They should know that, man, you're, why do you have hope? Why are you so happy? This world's falling apart. Why do you have peace? Why do you have peace? The thing that won me over to Jesus was I was surrounded by a bunch of weirdos, and they're called Christians, and they had peace and happiness and joy in their lives, and I had none of it, and I was desperately seeking it out. And I saw by the way that they lived their lives and how they treated me, there's something different about these people, and I want what they have. That's how the church has to be. Church has to be that way has to be. We're living in very dark times, and it's going to get worse before it ever gets better. Holiness matters. Holiness matters. Be different. Be different. Don't be weird different. Just be different, (laughs) please. Respectful. Respectful. Treating people like people. Man, everybody is created in God's image. But not everybody is saved, and not everybody has been, is, is been redeemed by his blood. We need to be the light bearers of this world, salt and light, and loving people, loving them, just like Jesus loved us. That's the deal. That's what was happening with these guys. It wasn't just coincidental that they end up in the best land for their flocks and where this family of 70-something people is going to expand into upwards of close to 2 million people the easy estimates, but even that would become a problem because the world will hate these. The world already hates these people, but it's going to hate them even more as they grow, as they grow. The 
beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world and everything in it was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning and the first people to walk the earth is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today, and we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind, and we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.